This Someday is Here series is sponsored by Denver Seminary. I love Denver Seminary and am currently enrolled as a student. I'm constantly blown away by the integrity and humility and commitment to excellence that I've experienced from the faculty, the staff, and just to have met students from all walks of life. You'll hear more about Denver Seminary later in the show, but if you want to go ahead and check out their degree programs, visit denverseminary.edu slash Vivian, V-I-V-I-A-N. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Someday is Here. I am your host, Vivian Mabuni, and I just want to say happy AAPI Heritage Month. Uh, In the month of May, we are doing something special here on the podcast, and we are going to take the next five weeks to explore adoption. Um, One of my passions is to really help bring more education, understanding, and just really highlight and center Asian American adoptees and their stories. Uh, But I've also brought together a group of um, adoptive parents, adoptive moms that I trust that have done, in my opinion, a good job of really walking the adoption process and journey with their kids. So my hope is that this series would be beneficial for those of us who love uh, adoptees, transracial adoptees, transcultural adoptees, uh, who are adoptees or who are raising kids of Asian descent. Um, I'm excited really to bring to you some really great voices uh, from a wide spectrum of experiences and to really um, hit the different parts of the adoption triad, um, the first families, the adoptees, and the adoptive families as well. So enjoy these next five weeks. I can't wait to dive into this very important topic, and I'm so glad that you're here for the journey. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Someday is Here and to the special series on adoption. Um, I am thrilled to be able to bring uh, leaders that I respect and even personal friends to this space to talk about a really important topic that's often under-resourced. So I have uh, growing in friends who um, are adoptees or are adoptive parents. And the stories are uh, always unique, not one size fits all. Uh, today, I'm thrilled to bring back onto the Sundays Here podcast uh, our former guest and dear friend, uh, Sundia Oaks. And if you have time, go back and listen to season three, episode 33, where she shares of her story. It's powerful. Uh, the the line that just resonates with me over and over, she shares defiant hope kept me alive. And her story is one that is just uh, full of hope, but also uh, trauma and just the reality of what happens in uh, the life of an adoptee, a a transracial adoptee. So we're going to talk about talk today with Sundia. She is a ministry leader, a story coach. She's a spiritual director, and uh, she does such incredible work in this area. She's her calling is uh, found where faith, adoption, trauma care, story work, and identity connect, and that's such a beautiful 
picture of so much of what she encompasses. And of course, she's so much more than that as well, too. So um, I'm grateful to have time again with Sundia. Welcome back to the Some Days Here podcast, friend. Thanks, Viv. It's such a joy to see you and to be with you again. So thankful that you would be willing to come back and again, share from your your story, your life experience. I know that you have been doing incredible work. You have co-founded um, an organization that really helps to bring um, the adoption triad, so to speak, the birth mom, the adoptee, the adoptive parents and family, um, just kind of bringing, uh, creating a space where there's hearing from each other. And I remember when we talked last time, you had mentioned that when you talk about something like Mother's Day, it brings up entirely different experiences with each of the people that we just described. And um, so I love that you are willing to continue to take what God has um, done in your life and be a blessing to others through sharing your story and what you've learned. So thank you so much. Um, we have talked about a lot of things pre, uh, pre-recording pre here, but um, in the time that we have, I would love for you to share the things that are on your heart when you think about this topic. And, you know, especially as we have this series um, about adoption uh, for the month of May, I would love to hear the things that are pressing on your heart that you would like to share with this community. Yeah. Well, let's start off with the adoption triad. Um, I and my friend Courtney co-founded the adoption triad. It's on Facebook and it's a community. And I want to speak in a little bit to the word triad. Um, Though a triangle has three even lines, if it's, I don't know what kind of triangle, I'm not good at geometry, but isosceles or I don't know. I don't know. know. Geometry felt short on me. And so um, though it's called Adoption Triad, um, Courtney and I really created this space to be able to think through it as a constellation more so. We want to highlight that there are both uh, roles of the adoptees as foster um, youth, there's foster parents, there's birth parents, there's adoptive parents. And so our hope was to give voice to give resources and to provide community because when we can also know other people's um, stories or struggles, we can relate and we can find a connection and it takes away some of that isolation and shame. And so we think of it more like the constellation that there are different connections in different ways to each of those roles. Some are, have a little bit of a longer space. Some are really close when it comes to the roles and all of the roles around adoption matter deeply. Mm-hmm. And um, what we've seen, especially as an adoptee, my personal experience is sometimes the adoptee voice can get missed and it can be very focused on the adoptive parents, but also same way with birth parents too. Like sometimes their voices can get missed as the first mom or first dad, birth mom, birth dad. And so the idea of the triad or constellation is that everyone's voice matters and it's not an equality necessarily um, that we want to have everyone's voice in their own nuance and uniqueness matter. Um, and we want to give room for that and space for that. I love that. There's such a dignity that's given to each and that's really gospel. 
you know, and being made in the image of God, Imago Dei, that all of us are. And I love that there would be intentionality toward that. And so um, I'm really grateful for your work, you and Courtney, and what you have done. I know that you've also gathered fellow adoptees, um, you know, through the organization we work with. And what has that been like for you? Amazing, amazing. I um, have been working with adoptee college students and now post-college students for the last uh, probably three years or so. And I love it. It started with an in-person group of women um, in Minnesota, and now it's virtual. And now it's actually grown into a national adoptee group. And so we hop on a Zoom call. Um, During this um, season, I am meeting weekly with uh, these college-age and post-college-age adoptees. But typically, we meet once a month. Um, and we connect, we have a space where they can share about how they're doing in real time and they can have other people say, I've experienced that too, or I've experienced something similar. And my hope is to create a space of both connection, belonging, discovery, and also just nourishment of, yeah, I hear you. I see you. Um, your story matters. And then this is going to evolve eventually into uh, retreats and uh, workshops for adoptees to be able to tend to their stories, um, to be able to find healing for those, some of those deep areas that we carry in our bodies and that affect us interpersonally. But sometimes we just don't know where to go or we don't have the language so I am working with a couple other people to curate some adoptee retreats coming out, um, which I just hope to help adoptees find liberation, um, know their voice, and be able to tend to the parts of their story that can feel very isolating. Mm, I love that. I think that there nothing replaces that sense of validation, that ability to just say, oh, you have experienced the same thing. And there's just something that I think shifts in our soul when we realize we're not alone. And I think that there, this is beautiful. I love this offering that you have for adoptees. Um, one of the things that you're quoted to share um, about adoption is when you adopt, you are saying, I'm going to join you in the pain. I'm going to join you in the trauma. I'm going to join you in the loss and the grief of your story. I'm going to walk with you rather than above you or in front of you. As I mentioned at the top of the show, this five-episode series is sponsored by Denver Seminary. For more than 70 years, Denver Seminary has prepared and sent thousands of graduates into the world. What I love is that Denver Seminary's community is represented by more than 50 denominations, and it's uniquely known for demonstrating steadfast dedication to the unchanging foundations of biblical faith while being committed to charitable orthodoxy and deep relationships. Denver Seminary offers several fully accredited degree options to students with courses delivered either on campus, fully online, or through a blended delivery model. So this makes exemplary theological studies available to anyone and from anywhere. And I have loved being in class with students from around the world because it just enriches the study of the Bible and of theology. If you have considered at all getting a formal seminary education, I want to encourage you to check out the programs and the community at Denver Seminary. Visit denverseminary.edu slash Vivian for more information. 
So I know that there are adoptive parents who are listening to this podcast, and many of them are white, and they have adopted a transracial adoptee of Asian descent. You know, their children are of Asian descent. Um, Could you speak to that as an adult adoptee? What are things that you wish uh, white parents would know, or even people in the school system of what it's like? What was it like for you growing up? Um, What do you wish that uh, the adults would know, the adoptive parents would know in this process? Yeah, absolutely. Um, There are many things. And so I will come down to the story of seventh grade. Um, It's right before Thanksgiving. I come out of my homeroom and go to my locker to grab all my stuff. And inside my locker, there is a piece of paper, like kind of folded up. And normally, you know, this is the age where people are like passing notes and like maybe, you know, from a guy or something. I'm like, oh, okay. And um, I open this little notebook piece of paper and on it is a picture of the KKK drawn in pencil and they have a torch and it says, go back to where you're from. And when I see this, I immediately just burst into tears. And there were people standing around my locker who knew that I was going to be receiving this. So there was just this insidious humiliation that came with opening that. And so I ran to my teacher. I told her what had happened. And she said, okay, we'll we'll work through this on Monday. And this was Wednesday. So I go home. And granted, my home was not a safe, warm, nurturing home. It was cold, traumatizing. It was very neglectful, but I still came home and I told my adoptive mom what had happened and her her response was horrifying. It was, well, you're not black, so just get over it. And that was it. Wow. And so I spent Thanksgiving day, that Friday, that Saturday, that Sunday with no one to talk to about it. I didn't have a phone. I couldn't call a friend. And so I, I started to sit into that narrative of if I'm not black, it doesn't matter but it still really hurts. And I came to school on that Monday and I was told that they figured out who it was and that they were going to like, there was going to be consequences for the guy who did it, but nothing else was really said to me. No one else, they had asked, is there anything you need? But I I don't know what I would have needed at 12 years old when I get a letter like that. And so then it just was never talked about again. And I think about that now um, where I'm at and a couple of things stick out to me is one, um, I identify as both uh, South Asian Punjabi Indian, I was born in India and I'm 46% Pakistani. And so, and I'm really proud to know that and to hold that. Um, and so if I'm not black and I'm not white, what does that mean for me when I get in a locker with the N word written on it and the KKK? How how do I feel? Well, it still hurts yeah. and it still matters. And the go back to where you're from, especially hearing that as an adoptee, is so painful um, and heartbreaking. And so what I wish would have happened is I wish not only would there have been more attunement from my guidance counselor and the teachers, and they didn't know maybe at the time. So I don't, I don't hold them accountable in this moment of like, oh, you should have known. But had they known, I wish what they would have done is address it with me in a way of saying, 
hey, we know that you're not black, but I'm sure this still hurts. Yeah, yeah. And, um, this is not okay whether you are black or whether you are brown or whether you are white. This is not okay. And so what um what do we what how do we walk through this together? And um can we check in with you even in a week if you say it's not a big deal now or it's okay, can we come back? And can we check in with you? And in a month, can we come back and check in and say, how how are you doing holding that? Um, and then I wish that it would have been addressed even in our classroom. I wish there would have been because people enough people knew that there was this humiliation piece. And I wish it would have been named that there is a zero policy, a zero tolerance policy for racism. And this is a serious, serious offense and um, I even love that Dan Allender has said that um, racism doesn't only affect people of color. It affects people who are white as well. And so it affects everyone in the narrative. And so um, with that, I am still tending to that. Um, and both even the stories around the girls saying that my skin looked like dirt in gym and telling me. I didn't know how to wash my my legs properly and that I was dirty. I'm still tending to my knees and still bringing care and um, kindness to the places where my body, my good Asian body has held pain. Mm, wow. I'm so sorry that happened to you. You grew up in a predominantly white environment. Is that right? Very much so. I did not see another person of color till I was 11 years old. And even then they did not reflect my ethnic background. And so it wasn't until college or late college that I had met another person who was Indian. Uh, And so it was very isolating and I didn't have any mirrors, like racial mirrors to say like, this is normal. This is okay. And so even now (laughs) as an adult uh, young woman, I still catch myself when I'm around other people who are Indian, like glancing at them or observing them. Um, and what that does to me is just affirming like Indian is good. And it is good that God has made me this way. Um, and there's a delight now that has come out of a lot of healing of wanting to flee from my brownness, wanting to flee from my Asianness. Yeah. Yeah. Now you mentioned that. I know that you've shared um, and even in the previous episode, in episode 33, about just a very uh, traumatizing childhood, you know, raised by parents who um, were cruel, uh, were cruel and abusive. Um, I know that there are, however, very loving parents, white parents who have adopted um, children of Asian descent and uh, in their well-meaning will try to just, you know, provide the most loving, warm environment without really addressing uh, or having language even to talk about racism and what happens. I just finished listening to on audiobook um, Nicole Chung's book, All I Ever Knew, um, which is beautiful, beautifully written. And um, she talks about her parents, you know, really wanting to do right and wanting to do well, but the choices that they made and how she felt as a little girl and being the only Asian in her classroom. And I would love for you to speak to the white parents who are adoptive parents um, who are in a predominantly white uh, 
church and, and neighborhood and school system, what would be some of your advice to them as they raise their children of Asian descent? Yeah, it's a great question. I think one of the things that come to my mind is proximity. Um, who are you in proximate proximate relationship with? And not just uh, you're around at the grocery store, but there's more about the actual um, who's coming to your home, whose homes are you going to? Um, can you find and build relationships, not just for your adoptee, but also for them as well, because they need it as well. And they're at a loss if they don't experience people from other um, ethnic backgrounds, cultural traditions, like they're at a loss as well then. And so it's both and. Um, So there's the proximity piece. There's also the piece of doing your own homework. Like Google is a great tool. I always tell people Google's free. (laughs) Right now, it's free. And so Googling, where are their um, gatherings? Where are their celebrations? Um, I wish my parents would have looked up Diwali um, through the lens of a Christ follower, of course, but I wish they would have looked up for traditions or for gatherings so I could have celebrated my own, um, yeah, cultural traditions from where I'm come from. I also think, um, what is in your home? Like when your child goes through their home, um, who do they see on the walls? Who are the quotes that maybe they see um, on like in like that are in little frames? Are they from people who reflect their ethnic background or are they from just people who are um, maybe just white men? Like nothing wrong with just white men quotes, but can they see quotes that reflect their own cultural background? Um, what are the books on their bookshelf? I cannot tell you that I had a book at all um, a children's book whatsoever that reflected my ethnic background um, ever, ever, which is so heartbreaking and so sad because I didn't know that others, that that exist, that didn't exist as much when I was a kiddo, but now there's tons of children's books being written. Um, also the food, like what are the recipes? What are the the foods that you're partaking in? Not just around a holiday, but on a normal schedule, it is not hard to learn how to cook. Like I've taught myself how to cook uh, Indian food and I make really good tikka masala and really good chicken biryani. And so um, I just wonder how creative we can get to bring that into our homes. And then not only the good and the delightful parts, but can you as a white adoptive parent also learn how do we become anti-racist how do we tend to the places of harm because most likely it will happen that your child will hear something if they're in predominantly white spaces they will hear something about their skin about their face about their bodies about their experiences so how are you going to be prepared to engage and like that quote i said earlier like how are you going to walk with them in their trauma in their loss as well. Um, and not just in the goodness on the delightful moments either, because we're whole beings. And so we come with the grief and we come with the gratitude and not gratitude for being adopted, but gratitude for getting to celebrate from where we're from. Yeah. And so I want to name that definitely. That's beautiful. I love that because, um, you, you are in such a unique place, Sandia, now as an adult, 
because I think you're able to speak into uh, the lives of adoptees, but also to parents who are raising children of a different heritage. And uh, there's a um, there's something significant, I think, to ha- to bring voice to these things, uh, having lived them out and being able to give testimony to these things do happen. And um, even in a Christian school, uh, racist things happen all the time. And for parents to be prepared and to be safe to be able to process, because you did, even in a really harmful home environment, brought it straight to your your mom to talk about, but she didn't know what to do with that except for to dismiss it. So I love that you're able to speak to both and appreciate um, the work that you continue to do in your own life and heart as you've been describing and then to help others in their process as well so thanks for being such a great example of all of that Mm -hmm. thank you i'm going to add one more piece onto that actually i wished i would have had mentors and even the people when i started to go to a counselor i wish i would have had someone who either was adopted or was a person of color or even to win the lottery, to have both, yeah. <laughs> to have someone who's a person of color and is adopted. I wish I would have had wise guides is what I call them to be able to walk with me in places that my adoptive parents couldn't. And I understand why they couldn't and how they couldn't, but that they, I wish I would have had that even as a young, young age. And so um, I think that would have helped with some of that ethnic identity development that didn't come to later on in my life. Yeah, that's so good. I really, I I think that that's so true. I've been reading a book by Brittany Salmon called It Takes More Than Love. And she does talk about the importance of really finding a therapist for the family, for the adoptee, and one who is trained in trauma, who is trained in um, the adoption, like to walk alongside and to not push down the grief or the loss, um, the pain, but really be able to enter into it as parents and as the adoptee. And that takes a, a skill, a skill set that is really challenging to find. Do you um, do you know of a place that our listeners could go to where with some vetted therapists or um, mentor types that you would recommend? I do have some people and I can drop those um, to you and maybe you could place them in the show notes Yes, um, of people that I would definitely recommend um, that would be great to walk with your kiddos. And I think there's also like thinking through categories, there's mentors, there's coaches, um, there's uh, of course, like therapists and counselors and um, finding the right person for the right uh, season and stage of life for um, for your adoptee, whether they're uh, whether they're young or whether they're teenage years or whether they're young adult. I think it's important to figure out what are we really looking for, um, and it can switch from season to season. Yes, that's so good. I think it, it really is because um, we can't rush the process either, and each person's story is so unique and different. Um, I think even in my own ethnic journey, you know, as a Chinese American raised in a predominantly white environment, there was a lot of um, internalized racism that I held growing up that I didn't even 
wasn't even aware of at the time because I so wanted to fit in. So if someone were to say to me, oh, I don't even think of you as Chinese, I just think of you as Viv, I took that to be a compliment because it meant I was fitting in. That was my objective. But there was really um, a self, self-loathing self that was going on inside of wishing I had blonde hair and blue eyes and look like everyone around me. So there, there's a process in that. And I think that there needs to be a certain level of safety to be able to even begin to explore and to go there because um, left to myself, I would probably just ignore <laughs> um, and push down, continue to push down. But when there's enough safety, those things can kind of bubble up and rise. And there's a, to me, there's a, in the same way with our faith, those who have grown up with a faith tradition, a lot of times as they enter adulthood, they begin to own their own faith in a way that they didn't as kids. And I, I, I wonder if that's the same with adoptees as well as they enter adulthood and they start hitting certain milestones and realizing their experience. And I'm, I'm curious if that would be something that you would agree with or if, you, if, that's, if that sounds similar for you. Uh, it totally does. And even the you saying that you wanted blonde hair and blue eyes, I wanted blue eyes so badly. And I remember going to the store and looking in the contact aisle to see if I could find um, blue contacts. I didn't even wear glasses or contacts at this time, <laughs> Just... but I longed for blue eyes. And I wanted to erase my dark brown eyes. And now I would call them my dark brown, beautiful eyes. I've come to a place of... Uh, them and finding love in them. And yeah, I think it does come from a place of safety. And I think that's a thing. Adoptive parents, um, it's important to know that when your child wants to explore, that is good and that is right. And to create space for them to explore, it doesn't mean that they don't love you any less. And I think that's the thing that I've heard as I've coached adoptive parents before um, and walked with them through different seasons, one of the things is like, can you hold some freedom for your child to be able to explore? And also, can you do your own work? Because if you're not doing your own work around your own body and your own face and how you feel about your own being, you're not going to be able to help your child because you can only lead them as far as you've gone. And so having safety, having space and saying like, assuring them, Hey, like I am for you. If this is what you want to explore, I'm with you. And I, I want to be in it as much as you desire for me to be in it. Um, but I will let you lead the way and I'm going to support you. I think that is phenomenal attunement from a parent. Yes. Um, and this isn't just, I want to name, not just from adoptive mom, but also adoptive dads yes. and, people and siblings and omas and papas and like the whole collective. That's so good. Um, because you're not adopted into just a one-on-one relationship. And so what is the narrative of the extended family when it comes to exploring and trying different foods or celebrating or honoring yes. your birth culture um it goes beyond the the family um just the, the adoptive mom yes, yes yes there we go yes mm-hmm. that's so helpful Cynthia. thank you because it is it's a it's a whole family you know and so siblings do play a part in this as well and there can be um harm and there can be healing 
Um, and I think that that's where uh, the greater the communication and awareness, it's just, to me, it really is speaking to uh, the need to rely on the Lord and to grow in character, which causes us to grow in humility and to not so much center ourselves, but be able to look beyond and see how how people we love are being impacted by what's going on. And, um, you know, de- defensive people cannot empathize. And that's where uh, when we have those defenses going up, uh, I think it's a good check for me. I think it's a good check for those of us who seek to be empathetic to understand like what's going on that it's making it really hard to allow for that space and that exploration. It requires character and humility uh, to feel secure enough to allow someone you love to be able to move into something that um, is uh, could be misunderstood to be not as loving because of the setup of the family structure and system. Yes. And that's coming back to the basics of uh, adoption is rooted in trauma. There's already been a loss. And so we can't just paint over the that adoption is rooted in trauma because that will carry through your family. It's threaded through your family and through an adoptee's body for life. There's yeah. already been such tremendous loss. And so to build that safety, to build that security, it is going to take extra work and it's worth it for that for that person to be able to grow into all of who God really made them to mm, be. That's so good. That is so good. Well, with our remaining time, I would love for um, listeners to know how to connect with you and how to um, just the work that you're doing right now. And maybe if you want to speak to a little bit of the reclamation process that you're in as well, well, but I would love to have you be able to share all those things, Cynthia. You can find me at sundiaoaks.com as well as on Instagram and on Facebook. And um, some of the things that I love offering right now is um, I do story narrative work and I do that with adoptees, with post, um, post-college adoptees. And I get to help adoptees navigate, tend to um, understand and restory um, parts of their narratives that have not experienced kindness or have experienced wounding and pain. And so I do story narrative work coaching with them. And then a couple other things is there'll be retreats that are coming up for adoptees as well. And um, in the last two years, I've been able to lead an adoptee parent class um, for transracial adoptee parents to be able to understand <laughs> more of the parenting structures that come with adoption and knowing your own story. It's the reclamation piece. It's the tending to your own story. It's the places of how do I become anti-racist? And how do I celebrate holidays? How do I integrate with siblings? All of that. It developed a nine-week class, um, which I love getting to do for um, parents. I love that. And right now on Instagram, um, while we're taping this, it's it's, um, November which is National Adoption Month. And Sandia has a whole series of just some really great um, thoughts, musings, um, insights, uh, teachings. So 
Uh, she's definitely worth the follow, everyone. So go find her and follow her. So thank you so much for taking time and um, for sharing from your own experience and also really calling us all to be in proximity, to be learners, to have a posture of process and um, discovery and to not turn away from the hard things. Um, I love that about your own story and how you model that with authenticity, but also call others to do the same. And so thanks so much for being on the podcast. Thanks, Viv. It's been a joy to be here with you again. Someday is Here is a production of Ivy Media Podcast. It's produced and edited by Angie Elkins, and assistant editor is Ashley Miner. Show notes and graphics are by Nikki Ogden, and the original music is by Joseph Patrick with Passion Net Productions. I'm your host, Vivian Mabuni. To learn more about the Someday's Here community, check us out on the socials at Someday's Here Podcast or at Viv Mabuni on Instagram. <laughs>